I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Governor Reeves announces guidelines for churches to resume in-person services, while the health department is pressured to release more information regarding the outbreaks at long-term care facilities. Then, one Mississippi county has no reported cases of COVID-19. We look at how Issaquina has stayed case-free. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a new preventative HIV medication. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. For nearly two months, churches across the state have held services in parking lots or virtually through streaming video or conference calls. Now, Governor Tate Reeves is issuing eight pages of guidelines for churches to resume in-person gatherings. Reeves announced the move during his daily press briefing yesterday. Uh, We are putting out guidelines to help our churches safely return eventually to in-person services. But first, I want to remind everyone that in our state, Churches were never shut down. It was important to protect our freedom of religion. It was important to recognize that it's a slippery slope when government starts telling our religious institutions that they cannot meet. However, what I did do, and I did it because I believe in protecting the public health and the safety of Mississippians, is I did reach out to our pastors. I reached out to our churchgoers. I have been asking them to do the right thing. We're putting out guidelines to help these pastors determine a safe path forward. Consider holding services just for the most vulnerable populations so that they can avoid interacting with larger crowds. Consider limiting your attendance and providing space between non-household units. Replace choirs with solo performers. I want to say that again. Replacing choirs with solo performers. We know that early on in this battle, we saw a number of community transmissions that occurred from various choir members that had the virus spreading it to other choir members. Please be mindful of either spreading the choir out or 
just doing uh, soloist. Reeves also recommends churches deep clean their spaces before welcoming members back. He also suggests they close coffee stations and suspend collection and offering plates. He emphasizes that these are guidelines and he is leaving it to Mississippi's pastors to determine when to resume resume in-person gatherings. These are guidelines. I would encourage you to consider waiting at least another week or two, perhaps to June the 1st, before you start instituting these guidelines. And I will say this uh, as a personal point. Uh, My family is likely going to continue worshiping from home. I plan to continue doing our morning prayer service on Sunday mornings into the foreseeable future. I believe in my heart that our church is not a building. We can honor our Lord and still keep our neighbors safe. You don't have to rush back. We do want to provide a playbook for the best way to do it as safely as possible, but we want our pastors to determine when that time is right. The guidelines come as the state eclipses 11,700 cases of COVID-19, and while seven Mississippi counties are under enhanced scrutiny due to concerns over public transmission, hospitalizations as well as ICU and ventilator utilization have remained steady since the beginning of May, with no trends of reduction in the data released by the Department of Health. Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says cases may not decrease if Mississippians do not except a new normal. It may not go down. I mean, quite honestly. I mean, uh, that's one of the reasons why it's so important. If everyone followed the guidelines, if everyone wore masks in public, if everyone were cautious, it would absolutely go down. Fat it out. But, but people are eager to be normal, and we have a new normal. We have to embrace the new normal and find a way to live with this thing because we're going to have cases, you know, going forward as far as the eye can see until we get to the fall when there's a really high likelihood that it's just going to skyrocket and we'll be having other challenges. So um, we just got to be prepared and, and make sure that we reinforce that message that people don't need to let their guard down. Not that we don't need to live. We just got to find a new way to live with this new reality. Governor Reeves says he's not surprised by the continuation of cases in the state. He affirms that the point of public policy is not to eliminate the spread of the virus, but rather protect the integrity of the health care system. Of the 11,700 cases of COVID-19 in Mississippi, 13 percent, that's over 1,500, are in long-term care facilities. The number of related deaths in those facilities has risen during the month of May, while the state health department is releasing more comprehensive data about the confirmed cases in the state. It says it will not release the names of long-term care facilities with suspected outbreaks despite outside pressure to do so. Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says it's a matter of privacy. We continue to have significant issue in long-term care settings. As you're well aware, we have 98 active outbreaks in, in nursing homes that we're working with. And we're also aggressively testing, as the governor discussed earlier, Every single nursing home in the state planning to check every single patient and every single employee. We will continue to work aggressively with long-term care. I know that there's been a lot of interest in the Department of Health releasing specific um, nursing home names, um, but I just want to reinforce that it's really a privacy issue, and a resident of a nursing home, that is their address. That's where they live. We've always had the stance that we wouldn't release 
you know, protected health information, just like a syphilis patient, we wouldn't post their address where they live. So it's a privacy issue. We fully respect the open records laws. It's simply a privacy issue. And the Department of Health, as a clinical provider, is a HIPAA-protected entity. And unless there's a public health reason to release the information, and we haven't identified one as far as like any risk to the general population, but for a contained outbreak where we have, you know, we're doing all the testing and stuff like that, and there's not a compelling public health interest, we consider the nursing home address that patient's address. And, and, and CMS sees it the same way. So um, it, it's just the, it's the same stance we've had before. Um, uh, I have been asked that question by um, some of the attorneys from the AG's office, and that's, you know, and that's exactly what our AG assignee attorney says and our, our privacy officer. So it's just simply a privacy issue. Coming up, one Mississippi county has no reported cases of COVID-19. We look at how Issaquina has stayed case-free. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Out of 82 Mississippi counties, only one has no confirmed cases of COVID-19. South Mississippi Delta's Issaquina County, with a population estimate of 1,327 from the U.S. Census Bureau, it is the least populated county east of the Mississippi River. The county has only recently started testing at the health clinic in the county seat of Mayersville. So far, no positive cases have been reported. Delta Health Center's chief program planning and Development Officer Robin Boyles explains some of the reasons why with our Alexandra Watts. Well, they kind of already socially distanced because um, there, there's only three, I think the, there's three people per square mile in that county um, if you look up the census data. And so um, it's just not a very populated county. It's very rural. A lot of the county right now is underwater because of the, of the flooding. You know, um, the, the Mississippi River is... It's high and it's you know it's right up against the river and it and it gets affected by that backwater flooding and you know last year that it was an area that was flooded for like six months but there my understanding is that parts of the of the county are underwater right now and so there's a lot of people that just can't get in and out you know are kind of already confined to their house um, another thing is that um, to our knowledge there really hasn't been any testing done there. We started testing there last week. We do have a clinic there part-time in Myersville that is open a couple of days a week. And um, we have uh, we did do some tests there last week, and we've got some scheduled for this coming week. So um, we'll see how that goes. But uh, to our knowledge, there really had not been anyone doing any, any COVID testing there in that county. Do you think with the increase in testing that that number might rise, or do you think you're still going to see some um, the same thing? Um, it could, um, uh, you know, there, there is, um, a, a correctional facility there in Myersville. I, I don't, I can't tell you right now just how, how many people are in there, but, um, so, I mean, the, I, you know, you know, of course, I mean, it could rise because of that, because there could be people that do have it that, that have just not 
had any symptoms that have not been confirmed cases, we're finding with our testing that uh, about 75% of those that are positive have had reported no symptoms. So, um, so that you know, there, there are people that do have that are carrying the virus and transmitting it that uh, aren't having any symptoms or have or have mild symptoms. Um, so, you know, it could be that there are people that do have it there that uh, it just has not been. Um, there has been no testing, and so it hasn't been. There haven't been any confirmed cases. But um, you know, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Really, uh, now that there is testing going on, you know, some testing going on. Uh, there, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It could just simply be that um, that, that there is um, kind of a natural social distancing going on. We have a clinic in Myersville, and uh, honestly, I, I really think that's the only incorporated town in the county. But I'm not sure about that. But um, I, I that that's uh, that's where we have our, our clinic, and it is the most populated um area and it's it's not very populated if anyone in 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 Queen county has any concerns at all uh, you know f- feel free to to make an appointment at delta health center and there in Marsville and reach out and um you know we'll we'll would love to um you know to, to help them Robin Boyles is the Chief Program Planning and Development Officer with Delta Health Center. Delta Health Center is providing drive-through testing today in Cleveland at the Senator's Place. Testing will be available until 5 p.m. at Aaron Henry Community Health Services, uh, also hosting drive-through testing in Jonestown at the Timothy Burrell Multipurpose Center from 10 to 2. Neither location requires pre-screening or appointments. The State Health Department Department is also continuing to work with UMMC to provide additional one-day collection sites. One site will be available tomorrow in Covington County at the Covington County Multipurpose Building in Collins. Anyone can be tested who is experiencing COVID-19 symptoms, including fever, cough, shortness of breath, or sore throat, or who has a known or potential exposure to someone confirmed with the virus. Those who want to be tested must first get an appointment by going through a free screening from a UMMC clinician, either through the C Spire Health Telehealth app or by phone. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a new preventative HIV medication. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Uh, Let's look to the time when we are ready to vaccinate 3 million Mississippians. Do we have enough syringes? I'm an old Navy hospital corpsman, retired pharmacist. I was involved with mass immunizations on the ship. We had a pressure gun and put a multi-dose vial on a spike on the top, and we could immunize one guy after another. And how do you prioritize all those injections? 
everybody just zooms in on, uh, are we able to develop a vaccine that's going to be effective? You brought up a lot of other good points about that, sort of in what's you know called supply chain. Uh, you mentioned the pneumatic ones. It really depends on the vaccine delivery and where you want it. Some vaccinations you can give subcutaneously, and that's just right under the surface of the skin. Others are intramuscular, uh, so they work better if they're deployed into the muscle. The pneumatic delivery methods are better for those subcutaneous, so they really can't deliver something down deeper than that, than just right underneath the skin. We have a template for this for, for different things. Certainly flu vaccination is one that uh, is a yearly vaccination. We've shifted a lot of our vaccinations that we routinely do in the clinic to pharmacies, and those are fine. What I usually tell my patients is, look, I don't care where you get it, just so you get it if you need it. Who directs all this? Uh, the CDC can provide some uh, direction to local health departments and state health departments about that. Who gets it? The most vulnerable people generally would get it first, unless in situations like COVID where you want to have herd immunity. So the people who might spread it easily to those high-risk individuals, it makes sense to vaccinate them too. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The HIV Prevention Trials Network, or HPTN, is announcing the results of a global randomized controlled double-blind study of an injectable HIV prevention drug. The study shows that CABLA lowers the HIV incidence in certain tested population groups. Dr. Ben Brock is an assistant professor of infectious diseases at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He tells us more about HPTN and what this study means in the long fight against HIV. HPTN is a multi-center international um, clinical trials group that is funded predominantly through the National Institutes of Health and um, multiple centers within the NIH to conduct clinical trials in HIV prevention. Yeah, this was trial 83 on their list. I believe they have tens uh, ongoing at any time, and most of their trials involve multiple countries. This new trial that we're speaking about very specifically uh, applies to cisgender men and transgender women who have sex with men. First, can you define what cisgender means? Oh, sure. Um, Cisgender refers to your gender identity being the same as your biological sex, and transgender refers to um, gender identity being uh, the opposite of your biological sex. Tell us what those two have to do with this study. Sure. Um, There are two parallel trials, one in um, cisgender men and transgender women, as you mentioned, and then another uh, parallel trial in women. Um, The one that was just reported out is in cisgender men and transgender women. Um, Those are two groups who have um, risk factors for HIV um, transmission and um, the 
biology of transmission is different, and so conducting parallel trials uh, is a, a typical thing that would be done in HIV prevention studies. There are multiple um, studies that HPTN has conducted only in women, for instance, um, because it's not necessarily um, expandable to the general population when you conduct a trial in HIV prevention in one group. So. You know, when we talk about a HIV prevention, it's normally in regard to behavioral modifications. And this is actually an injection that someone can take? There are a lot of different strategies to prevent HIV and sexually transmitted infections. Behavioral modifications, one of them, um, these are what they refer to as um, biomedical interventions to prevent HIV, and those include PrEP. So PrEP is one of the biomedical interventions to prevent HIV. That would be giving someone who is HIV negative and at risk for HIV uh, antiretrovirals to prevent HIV infection if they are exposed. Um, the second biomedical intervention is uh, called treatment as prevention, and that is treating HIV-positive individuals to decrease their um, odds of uh, transmitting HIV to an HIV-negative person. And the third one is called post-exposure prophylaxis, and that is if someone's not on PrEP and HIV-negative, giving them antiretrovirals after exposure. How does this new one differ from those? Because in those, the, the person has already been infected? Right. This is a new... Uh, formulation for PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. So uh, it is an injectable, long-acting drug that uh, sustains drug levels in the individual after an injection for a couple of months and protects the individual from HIV infection if they are exposed. Um, there are two other drugs that are on the market currently for PrEP. Um, both of them are one pill a day and uh, Truvada was approved by the FDA in 2012. Descovy was approved by the FDA in 2019. So this would be the third antiretroviral for PrEP. But it is novel in that it's a long-acting injection and not a pill that you have to take every day. Is it any more effective than the other ones? It is as effective as the other ones. The difference with this one is that after you get the injection, it doesn't rely on you remembering to have to take it. So uh, it does require you have to come back for a repeat injection to remain protected. But um, the other ones being a pill every day require that you remember to take it every day. And they've um, demonstrated that the um, other forms of PrEP do not work if you miss doses of it. Is this new injection still in the trial period, or is it FDA approved? The clinical trial in this, in this population is over. There is still an ongoing trial in cisgender women, uh, and we expect, HPTN uh, was reporting in their press release that those trial results may be reported as early as late 2020. Having this injection available seems uh, certainly significant in Mississippi where there are high rates of HIV AIDS. Can you address that, the statistics in Mississippi? Sure. Um, there are uh, several hundred new cases um, diagnosed every year. Mississippi is 
in line with the rest of the southeast in that um, we have higher rates of new infections um, compared to the rest of the country and in the southeast, um, which makes up about, the U.S. southeast makes up about a third of the total U.S. population, about half of new infections occur in the southeast. So the south is um, disproportionately affected by uh, new HIV cases. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this injection? Yeah, cabotegravir is um, in a class called integrase inhibitors. Um, it is an antiretroviral, so it targets HIV. And if uh, an individual is exposed to HIV, the concept of PrEP is that um, the cabotegravir will be present in tissue uh, so that it inhibits the HIV before infection can occur. Any final thoughts for our listeners about this? Sure. Um, this is another uh, tool in our toolkit to uh, address the HIV epidemic and decrease the number of new infections and um, just another strategy that we have to help in the epidemic. We have everything in place to be able to end the HIV epidemic, and there is a big momentum uh, at the national level to try to end new cases. I think that that is doable, and pre-exposure prophylaxis is, is one very important method to be able to do that. Dr. James Ben Brock is an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Brock, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.